You're listening to the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church in Newton, North Carolina. By God's grace and for His glory, we're striving to be a community of disciples who are growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples. We pray you'll be encouraged to deeply love and trust our Savior Jesus Christ through this ministry. We hope you enjoy the sermon. to us, and and that you would open our eyes to see what you have done for us in Christ, and that we would be, you would make us a holy people who are absolutely dedicated to your Son, to his people, and to his mission. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This week, I got to spend a significant amount of time with two police officers, and they both said the same thing. This is a very difficult time. Here's what both of them said. It seems like everybody is on edge. I think they're right. So far in 2020, there have been 147 shootings in which four or more people have been shot, not including the shooter. And just to put that in perspective, there's only been 122 days in the year And there have been 147 of these shootings nationwide, thankfully not. In other words, we're having more than one of these shootings every day. Anxiety seems to be high. Whether that's people are scared about what's going to happen to the economy, what's going to happen politically in our nation, what's happening morally in our nation... What's going to happen with my job, with my kids, this isolation that we are feeling because of this virus? Anxiety, it is an all-time high, and, and I don't think Christians are exempt. This is why we need regular reminders of what is true. You and I are like sieves, constantly leaking constantly needing to be reminded. This is why I plead with you every day to open up your Bible and to hear from God. Because we need constant reminders of what is true. Our hearts and minds, we need to be reminded of God's faithfulness every day. So this morning, I have good news. I have true news. For you, news that I hope that God uses to change your life and absolutely kill anxiety. And here's the good news in three words God is holy. Now, if you're anything like me, you may be thinking, that's the good news you have for me? God is holy. Is it, sometimes, just being honest, sometimes we think that God being holy is actually bad news. Right? God is holy is absolutely fantastic 
news. So let me, let me just ask this, and Robert, you can't, we've talked about this, so you can't answer this. When I say God is holy, what immediately comes to mind that I mean by holy? Terrifying, set apart, perfect, pure, sovereign. This is, I'm going to make a bold claim. And it's this, most of us aren't thinking rightly about holiness. That there's more to holiness than God's purity. There's more to holiness than the fact that he's so morally pure and set apart from us that he is absolutely terrifying. There's more to it than that. Most of us, when we think about God's holiness or our calling to be holy, we tend to equate it with Purity, separation from sin and evil. J.R. Williams in the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology states, Holiness then denotes the separateness or the otherness of God from all his creation. The Hebrew word kadosh in its fundamental meaning contains a note of which is separate or apart. Therefore, when Christians talk about God's holiness, we often hear someone saying, God is holy, he can't look on sin, he's totally separated from sin and evil. Therefore, he must punish sin. In other words, it's easy for us to think of God's holiness as a hurdle to getting to him. But this morning, I want to proclaim to you that God's holiness is not a hurdle to his people drawing next to him. In fact, God's holiness is our great hope of getting to him. Let me show you what I mean. Preaching through the book of Hosea. And we get to Hosea chapter 11, verses 8 through 11. Let's, let's turn there together. Hosea 11, verses 8 through 11. Now since... Some people are just joining us in this study through Hosea. Let's just quickly review. What's the spiritual condition of Israel during Hosea's time? What did you say? Bad, bad. Terrible is one of my favorite words. It's, it's terrible what's happening in Israel. And what is happening in Israel specifically? What's so bad? Idolatry. They're worshiping false gods. What else? There's violence, adultery. His people are so far away from him, it is pitiful. Notice here what it says, Hosea 11 verse 2, They keep sacrificing to the Baals and burning incense to idols. Verse 7, So my people are bent on turning from me. So then, you tell me, what does Israel then Nicknamed Ephraim, what does Israel deserve? Judgment, wrath, punishment. But notice what God says in verse 8. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I, how can I make you like Admah? How can I treat you like Zeboim, these, these cities that were destroyed with Sodom and Gomorrah? My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again. For, here's why God is not going to destroy Israel. Listen to this. For, I am God and not man 
the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. So I'm reading through Hosea, minding my own business. And I get to verse 11, and it's like music stops. Because I don't know about you, but I read verse 11. Here God is saying, I'm not going to pour out wrath on you because I am the Holy One of Israel. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Because when I, I would read that, I would think he's saying, because I'm the Holy One of Israel, I am going to pour out wrath on you. Are, are you following me? But Hosea 11 verse 9 says the exact opposite. He's not going to pour out wrath because he is the Holy One. So here's what it told me. That my understanding of holiness must be lacking. Verse 9 reminded me of a lecture um, that I heard. And if you're interested, I can send you a link to this. Back in 2013 from Dr. Peter Gentry, who's probably the most prominent um, Old Testament scholar of the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, in the world. I heard this lecture and about the holiness of God, and I found it intriguing. But it was it, it, I didn't understand enough to internalize it. So after reading... Hosea 11.9, I went back and I listened again several times, and I think that he's on to something profound. And so I've spent the last while doing my own work on this, but I want to give credit to Dr. Gentry because he's the one who pointed me in this direction. This morning, I'm going to share with you um, what I've learned, but I'm really thankful for him. And I actually emailed him this week to make sure that I was on the right track on some things, and he says, I think that this is exactly right. So... Our time is limited, so I'm going to focus mostly on God's holiness, but I hope that it's not going to be very difficult for you to begin to see then when God says, you are to be holy for I am holy, what he means by that. And, and what I'm going to put before you, he means more than what you think he means right now. Here's summary. I want to submit to you that the essence of God's holiness is not moral purity, but rather his dedication, his consecration, his commitment to his plan to rescue for himself a people and to plant them into a garden paradise where he will reign and enjoy them and they him forever and ever Again, so let me just say that again. The essence, if you get to the heart of what God's holiness is, it is not moral purity, but rather consecration and commitment to his plan to rescue a people for himself from sin and wrath and to plant them for himself in a good land where they will be his forever and ever. Now, let me be absolutely clear, just in case you're wondering, God is morally pure. He calls his people to be morally pure. But our purity is a result of our holy calling, not the heart of it. So, which makes, then, our purity way more significant than just mere morality. Atheists can be moral, but only the people of God can be holy. 
God is absolutely devoted to his plan to rescue a people. And we're called to be absolutely devoted to him, his plan, and his people. Which I love because as I read that, I'm like, this is, this is, this is our vision. That we would proclaim Jesus Christ, wholly dedicated to him. That we would love his people and we would multiply disciples. We would be absolutely dedicated to Jesus, to his people, and to his mission the exact same way that he is. So let me take this one step at a time. This is where your handout's going to come in. We're going to go through this quickly, but I hope that it's as precious to you as it has been to me. First, let's notice that Hosea 11.9 is not the only time that God's holiness led him to be merciful toward his people. Jeremiah 51.5 for neither Israel nor Judah has been forsaken by his God, the Lord of hosts, although their land is full of guilt before the Holy One of Israel. Notice, he's promising to destroy, to, use, to destroy Babylon for their cruelty to Judah. And it's easy for us to contrast, to see this contrast between Israel's guilt and God's holiness, but there's something else. The Holy One of Israel is going to be faithful to his promises even though they're guilty. The Holy One refuses to forsake his people. Habakkuk 1.12, God is promising to send the Babylonians, the Babylonians to punish Judah for their sin, in particular for their violence their cruelty and their oppression against their fellow Israelites. Notice what Habakkuk prays. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Notice that God's holiness is the grounds for Habakkuk being absolutely assured that though they will be punished, he will not destroy his people. He is going to be faithful to his people. In other words, Habakkuk is saying, I know that this invasion will not end Judah because I know you, God, that you are devoted to your plan to rescue for yourself a people and to plant them in the promised land where they will live under you forever and ever. This, this makes more sense when we understand that holiness is not first about separation, but rather about dedication about consecration, about commitment. So, this is important. Holiness, at its heart, is dedication. You could use the word consecration. In the Old Testament, lots of things were sanctified or dedicated or made holy. For example... Exodus 40, verse 9. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and shall consecrate it and its furnishings and it shall be holy. In other words, this tabernacle is dedicated to the worship of God. Just notice, a building can't be morally pure. But a building can be absolutely dedicated to the purposes of God. 1 Chronicles 23, 13. The sons of Amron are Aaron and Moses. And Aaron was set apart to sanctify him as most holy, he and his sons forever, to burn incense before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless his name forever. 1 Chronicles 26, 27. They dedicated part of the spoil won in battles to repair the temple of the Lord. So 
this, every time I have a word underlined there, it's the exact same word. This Hebrew word kadosh, holy, sanctified, dedicated. This is very interesting. This is what I, this is what I emailed Dr. Gentry about. It's very interesting that even wicked gods, their mountains are called holy mountains. Baal's mountain is called a holy mountain. It's not that it's morally pure. But that that area was dedicated to Baal. Here's another one that blew my mind. Do you know what the Hebrew word for temple prostitutes are? It's the exact same word. It's not that they're morally pure. But it's that these temple prostitutes, in a most awful way, are dedicated to these false gods. So, holiness at its heart is dedication. Notice that verses like Exodus 13.2 make clear what is meant by this. Exodus 13.2, sanctify to me every firstborn, the first offspring of every womb among the sons of Israel, both man and beast, it belongs to me. So notice, what does it mean to be, according to Exodus 13, verse 2, what does it mean to be sanctified to the Lord? It belongs to me. It's mine. In other words, to make something holy is to dedicate it to God and to His purposes. Here's the good news for Israel. God is holy. In other words, He He is absolutely dedicated to his plan and promise to rescue for himself a people and to plant them in a good land. When God says, I am holy, he is saying, I am 100% behind my mission. Let me show you this. It's very interesting to me that the first time God is honored in the Bible for being holy is in Exodus 15, right after he had just rescued his people from slavery. You can go back and read the whole thing. But Moses sang a song in honor to the Lord for rescuing Israel. Exodus 15, 11, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? And notice carefully his plan, Exodus 15, verse 7. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, the holy place, O Lord, which your hands have established. This theme continues because often God's holiness equals God's commitment to save his people and to plant them in his land. Look at Ezekiel 20, verse 41. As a soothing aroma, I will accept you when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the land where you are scattered, and I will prove myself holy among you in the sight of the nations, and you will know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, into the land which I swore to give to your forefathers. Notice... This is, this is incredible. Notice that he is not proving himself to be morally pure. That's not in question. God is morally pure. What's in question in Ezekiel is that God's people have been scattered and it looks like God has given up on his mission. It looks like God has given up on his promise. And he says, no, I've not given up. I'm going to prove myself holy. I'm going to prove myself absolutely dedicated to my mission to save for myself a people and to plant them into a land. Notice how stubborn he is. 
This has been his plan all along. This is what I said last week. This is what we saw in Hosea. That, that first, the original plan with Adam and Eve was what? For him to create a people for himself. To plant them in a good land where they would dwell as his people and he would be their God. But Adam and Eve failed. And then he raises up the nation of Israel whom he calls his son. And he promises to rescue his people and to plant them in a good land. Which gives us hope because his, pr- his plan has not been abandoned even today. Look at Ezekiel 28. For thus says the Lord God, When I gather the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they were scattered, and I will manifest my holiness in them in the sight of the nations, then they will live in their land which I gave to my servant Jacob. They will live in it securely, and they will build houses, plant vineyards, and live securely when I execute judgments upon all those who scorn them round about them. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God. This is very important. Notice, how is God going to manifest His holiness in them? He is going to declare Himself to be holy when He makes good on His promise to plant His people in the land. Do you see that? Let's keep going. Ezekiel 36 Also I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the lands. According to their ways and their deeds I judged them. But when they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name. Now, if we stopped right there, you would think, oh, they profaned his holy name because they remained immoral. But that's not what he says. He says, they profane my holy name because it was said of them, these are the people of the Lord, yet they have come out of his land. Do you see how his name was profaned? It looked like he was not dedicated to his promise. But he is dedicated. These are the people of the Lord, yet they have come out of the land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy in their sight. Now, here's what I want you to notice. We're going to read the very next verse and notice how he's going to prove himself holy. 4, verse 28, I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave your forefathers so that you will be my people and I will be your God. This, by the way, is why God is so offended when His people doubt His dedication to His promises. 
Look at this, Psalm 78. You can go back and read the whole psalm. It's an overview of, of, of God's faithfulness and Israel's sin. But we get to verse 40 in Psalm 78. He says, How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Again and again they tempted God and pained the Holy One of Israel. Why? Why would they pain the Holy One? Here's the answer. Because they did not remember his power. The day when he redeemed them from the adversary, when he performed his signs in Egypt and his marvels in the field of Zoan. They, they pain the Holy One by treating him as if he was not 100% dedicated to his mission. Look at Isaiah 31. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and the horsemen because they are very strong. But they do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Do you see? There is this doubt in their mind that He is going to be holy. He's made a promise and He's wholly dedicated to that promise. When the Bible says that God is holy, it is declaring that He is absolutely dedicated to His purpose and His promise to save. I wish we had time to go and read all of Psalm 111. But if you go home and you read Psalm 111 and you pretend we didn't say any of this today, you'll read Psalm 111 you'll say, hmm, that's, that's nice, but not much there. But when you keep this in mind, that when God is declared holy, that what the Bible is saying is that he is absolutely dedicated to planting his people into the land that he has promised. Psalm 111 comes alive. Listen to this, Psalm 111 verse 4. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He's dedicated to his covenant. He has made known to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations, in giving them this land that he has promised. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. He is called holy because he is dedicated to his promise of bringing his people into the land. Now, with that in mind, I hope that you see the Hosea 11, verse 8 and 9, come alive. He says to a very wicked people who deserve his wrath, he says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How, how can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again. For I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. This also makes sense of verse 12. Look down at verse 12. Ephraim surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. Judah is also unruly against God, even against the Holy One who is faithful. Absolutely dedicated to his mission. Now, there's a theology behind God's holiness. But, but this... This theology is meant to be taken to heart. <laughs> and this is, this is meant to be deeply life-changing 
and encouraging. Look at Isaiah 41. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth. Can you, can you see this plan? And called from its remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all, behold, all those who are angered at you will be shamed and dishonored. Those who contend with you will be nothing and will perish. You will seek those who quarrel with you, but you will not find them. Those who war with you will be as nothing and non-existent. For I am the Lord your God, who upholds your right hand, who says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Do not fear, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, declares the Lord, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I have made you new, sharp threshing sled with double edges, and you will thresh the mountains and pulverize them, and will make the mountains, the hills like chaff. You will winnow them, and the wind will carry them away, and the storm will scatter them. But you will rejoice in the Lord. You will glory in the Holy One of Israel. Do you see? Israel can live without fear. Israel can know that they will have success over their, is, over their enemies and that all God's promises will become true because the one who promised is the Holy One of Israel. Just by the way, we see the exact same thing in the New Testament. In the Septuagint, Hagios and its derivatives translate Kadosh, the Old Testament word for holy. So now, think about what this does. Think about the Lord's Prayer now. Pray then, Jesus says in Matthew 6 in this way, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Literally, make your name holy. And notice what comes next. Make your name holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your name being hallowed, in other words, let the whole world know that you are devoted to your plan to save for yourself a people and to establish your kingdom on earth. But, this is not just good news for Israel. This is good news for us. I want to show you Isaiah 49. I'll just tell you, this is not the easiest text but it is an incredibly important text. Isaiah 49, verse 5. Isaiah is acting as the mouthpiece of the coming Christ. And he says, And now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant. So, so here, I, Isaiah is speaking the words of Christ to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and its Holy One, to the despised one, to the one abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will see and rise, princes will bow down, because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, has chosen you. The Holy One of Israel has formed. 
has chosen a holy servant who will not merely save Israel, but also the nations. That's us. And he's going to do it, Isaiah 49.6, or Isaiah 49.7 says, he's going to do it because this servant is going to be despised. He is going to be abhorred. He is going to be crucified. And the crucified servant is going to show that God is holy. Absolutely dedicated to his mission. This means it makes sense why the demons fear his holiness. Think about Mark chapter 1. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demons are not afraid of his morality. He's been moral. He's been absolutely pure for all eternity. What they're afraid of is that he's coming to keep the promises of God. He's coming to throw them out to establish his people on the earth. He is the Holy One of God. Luke 1, 28, Luke 1, 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Therefore, guess, what's people, guess what God's people are called in the New Testament? Saints. His holy ones. It's very interesting, but the word saint is first used way back with the, with the rescue, the exodus from Egypt. They are the holy ones. The ones who have been redeemed as a part of God's holy mission. Saints, the holy ones, are the ones the holy one has chosen and redeemed in order to be his and to inherit his promises. Acts 26, 16. Speaking of Paul's conversion, he's telling the story. And this is what Jesus said, but get up. And stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will also appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so they might turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Do you see, sanctification is more than just your moral purity. Your your moral purity is a result of the fact that God, he said exactly right as we started off this service, that God in his mercy has chosen you, believer, to be his. And he is promising To bring you all the way to the end and to plant you into his inheritance. So 
This is more than moral purity. It's that we are his. We are the recipients of his promises. This is what it says in Colossians 1.12. Paul prays that we would be a people who walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does that look like? Part of it is this. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 2 Timothy 1.9. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he has granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. So, we are living in days when anxieties are high. It certainly looks like the very foundations of our society are crumbling. The church seems weak. And the people that we are called to reach are hardened. But on this dark night, we have hope. And our hope is that God is holy. Absolutely dedicated to his plan and his promise to rescue him for himself, a people, and to plant them in a garden paradise where we will be his forever and ever again. He is so dedicated to this mission that he bled to secure it. These days are dark, but I want to show you. Look over to Isaiah. If you're in Hosea, turn back to Isaiah 11. And we're going to end here. Isaiah 11, look at verse 1. We are living in dark days. But the Bible reminds us in verse 1 that a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Just by the way, let's think about this. What's the Spirit called in the New Testament? The Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon people, what do they do? They proclaim, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, then you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Because the Holy Spirit is wholly dedicated to the mission of God. He is the one who empowers God's mission to go forward to His people. So He says... A shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Verse 4. With righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Verse 6. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Verse 9. They will not hurt or destroy in all his holy mountain, for the earth will Will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Then the Bible says, verse 10, In that day the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. And then Isaiah 12 says, And then on that day, here's what you will say, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust, listen, 
and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Therefore you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord. Call on His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Make them remember that His name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for He has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the whole earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. We can stand today, even in very dark times, with full assurance of hope that God is absolutely dedicated to His promises because He is the Holy One of Israel. Let's trust Him. Let's not blaspheme His name by worrying. Let's not blaspheme His name by wondering whether or not He's going to keep His promises. Let's honor the Holy One by believing that He will be holy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I am thankful. God, we, those words don't even, don't even begin to get to the heart of how thankful we are. We in this room, if we would go around, we could share the anxieties that we have brought into this room. Father, I pray that you would crush them by the reminder that you are absolutely dedicated to saving a people for yourself and planting them in a land where we will enjoy you forever and ever and ever. You will be our God and we will be your people. Father, I pray that we would stop fearing and trust the Holy One. And Lord, I pray that we would hear your call to be holy ourselves absolutely dedicated to your mission. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the First Baptist Newton Podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website at newtonfbc.org. We'll see you next time.